I think that's one of the hardest spiritual lessons people have to go through before they find ultimate peace. You know, mm. because you, as, as I look back at it now, I understand on, on this side of life, right, on this side of life, you know, that joy and peace comes from being the best of who you are, not in the results. This is Epic Ordinary Lives Podcast. Welcome back to Epic Ordinary Lives, the podcast that is grounded in the belief that your story matters and that the telling of that story can help other people. This podcast went away for almost exactly three years because life was busy in the best kind of way. My wife and I got married. We both had job changes during that time. And we also did lots of traveling during that year, during our first year of marriage. And then 2020 happened. And I feel that in this time that carries with it so much pain and suffering, some of which was already here for a very long time, and some of which is directly caused by the virus itself, I feel like now more than ever, giving people the space to tell their stories and giving people the space to, to really reflect on what they've learned is one of the most healing things, at least for me personally. And that's the goal of this podcast, to create a space for individuals to come and reflect on not only how ordinary their lives have been, but also how epic. And that even if you, the listener, have nothing in common with the person that you are listening to being interviewed, that there are lessons that you could apply to your own life, that their struggles, that their failures, and that their triumphs can serve you and serve them as well. And this episode is no different. In it, I interview Coach Bobby Jackson, who is a certified performance coach and life mentor. What struck me throughout this conversation is his honesty, his vulnerability, and it's an incredible story because he talks about how he went from the kid who was the last person picked on the playground or the basketball court for neighborhood sports, and how he went from that identity to someone that had a full four-year college experience in football and took all of the lessons and struggles of his life to build work that aligns with who he is at a core level. This was not easy, and this is not a direct linear path at all. And that's what's so powerful about this is that we go back and forth from him telling his own journey 
and interspersing that throughout with the life lessons that he's learned. And at the end of the conversation, it really is about his philosophy of coaching and how that drives everything he does in his own life. I will say that there is some background noise in this episode, and that is just part of the reality of being in the world that we're in right now. Everybody is living on top of one another, and this does go away, by the way, uh, into the podcast, but that is something in the background early on. Coach Bobby Jackson's bio includes a master's in professional studies as well as certifications in professional coaching and global leadership from Lipscomb University. He's also earned his Bachelor of Science in Communications and a four-year football letterman jacket from Northwestern University. Bobby has over 20 years' experience in the athletic and fitness arena, and he has tutored and mentored various people from all walks of life. He also takes pride in his experience working in the mental health industry. What shaped his skill of being the great coach he is today was the extensive amount of time serving those suffering from mental and physical abuse and chemical dependency. I hope that you deeply enjoy this conversation. So without further ado, please enjoy Coach Bobby Jackson's Epic Ordinary Life. So it's a Saturday morning, and I'm talking with Bobby Jackson. How are you, Bobby? Hey, how you doing today, man? I'm good. The sun came back here in, in Tennessee today. That's not a bad thing. Feels good. Low humidity. Had a good walk this morning. You, mean you can't beat it. That is the truth. And you and I, it, it's been a very long time since we were in the same place. And, of course, we're not in the same place right now. But uh, when you and I were together and the reason why I met you in the first place is because you were my coach for a pretty extended period of time. Yeah, it was a little time, wasn't it? It did carry on for what a good year, huh? I mean, on and off. And there was a period of a good like eight weeks or something, I would say back to back. You're right. It was. Man, the time moved by so fast. That it does. And, and yet the entire time that you were working with me, I was curious about you and I was curious about your journey because I remember looking at your LinkedIn page or something like that and seeing that it has been, you've, you've done a lot of things and you've, you've done a lot of different things. So I want to, I want to find out how we got here by starting at the beginning. So take us through what was, what was Bobby like? As a boy, what where did you grow up? I grew up here in uh, Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, I spent, you know, most of my time, I guess, from zero to six, I spent here. And uh, then I spent a couple of years in Okinawa, Japan, from like seven to nine. And then I, I spent most of my time after that in Oklahoma. So... <clears throat> from Oklahoma to high school. Yeah, my high school, junior high, high school years there in Oklahoma. What was the, how, what, what led to going overseas? My father was in the Air Force. So, you know, he had uh, came back into me and my mom's life at that time. And, and, and so he wanted to, to reunite and, and try to 
established his family. So he was in the Air Force. So we got up and and, and just moved away. <laughs> it was just like whisked away. Yeah. And that, that was an experience. I'm glad I, I had opportunity to, to have that. I still, it's so funny. I remember basically everything. And I can't remember much these days. <laughs> yeah. That, that period of time, I remember uh, almost everything. Yeah. I mean, did that feel like entering into an entirely different world? You were seven, you said? Yeah, I was seven. Absolutely. And because, you know, our first year, we didn't have base housing. So we had to live off base. So, of course, you know, that was like, wow. You know what I'm saying? You know, what was going on? I mean, you you're out there you know, with the you know the regular natives and you know and and it's just you like man you know you watching these geckos running up in and out of your house on your walls these little lizards and dealing with typhoons and oh man <laughs> you know because we was a mile from from uh the seawall where you know they built the wall where the sea was so they had to you had to live a mile in because that's how much the typhoon waters were washing in. Mm. So we was right there at the line of it. Our house was right there at the line. So after a typhoon, you'll go out there, I walk over the fence, what, 20 yards from the house, and then you see all type of stuff that, that, that you know, the ocean brought in. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's, it's just unbelievable. Debris. <laughs> Debris, dead fish, every anything you can name. I mean, it was putrid. You know what I'm saying? Just swell, what? you know? Yeah, gross then. <laughs> oh, my God. Dang matter. That's crazy. That just blew your mind. But I tell you what, though, when you go on top of the hills, they have, you know, they a lot of the farmers out there, they do flowers. And you see some of the most beautiful flower arrangements. You know, they covers hundreds of acres, just different colors, just like a rainbow on the ground. So, I mean, that was something. And then there... Uh, the grave sites, because you know they build the monuments and cremated. I mean, they were just unbelievable, man. The people were nice. It was, it, it was an experience, man. I enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it. It's a total contrast because you living out there with them, and then once you get on base housing, it's like a total different world. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Everything's clean, pristine. You know, it, it's, it's it's something. It's something. That kind of uh, leap into the unknown, especially you're young enough where uh, life can still have this sense of, I don't know, just magic happening and, and, you know, having a sense of wonder, but you're literally entering into a new world with a move of that nature. It was, it was, it was, it was a totally different world. And it's so funny because that's where I started playing uh, organized football was overseas that, like on that, the, the base team then you know, on the base team that was the first time i ever played organized football so you know i was excited about that you know but it's so funny before i went there you know moved to uh uh okinawa japan i got the bug to play football in the neighborhood with the friends you know, it's funny how my story is because most people would think, you know, as I progressed, you know, to, you know, All-American High School athlete and playing Division One football, you know, and they would think like, oh, he's always been a great athlete. 
But really, uh, before that, I took off in football in my first year. When I lived in the States, I wasn't a good athlete at all compared to the people in the neighborhood or how they described me because I couldn't play the other sports very well. So actually, I was the last one to get picked for anything. For, for the other sports specifically? Yeah, yeah, like the neighborhood sports and stuff like that. Like if somebody's have a pickup basketball game yeah. or I was the last one, you know, baseball, anything like that. Yeah. But, but the one day everybody decided, hey, let's go out there and play some football and see what happened. And then all of a sudden I just – neighborhood pickup game, it just blew up from there. You know what I'm saying? It was like, man, dude, he's – it's pretty upsetting. We can't tackle him. We can't stop it, you know. But but my nickname before we played neighborhood football was Bo Sorry. So, like, my nickname was Bo, but they was like, oh, he's sorry. He can't play now. Bo Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Bo is sorry. So they just yeah. say Bo Sorry. So, yeah. Nah, don't ever pick him. He's no good. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But, um, that day, that day before, it was like actually a month before we had left to Japan. They start, I start playing the neighborhood pickup games. And then everybody's like, oh man, Bo is good. He's really, really good. So and right when I could be like, okay, yeah, I'm finally good at something. I got whisked away to Oakland, <laughs> Japan. <laughs> <laughs> you've got all this new uh, credit from all these folks that now suddenly you've got to, and, and you don't even get to really enjoy it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I mean, this is for family members and everything. Oh, he's yeah. no sorry. He's no good. He's no good. And they was like, oh, man, did you see him out there playing, you know, with the friends? With the, you know, and I've never played organized. We just playing, you know, tackle football, you know, and, I, and that's where I was like, man, this gives me confidence, you know? This gives me a sense of identity, you know, and then I went to the Okinawa, Japan, and you know, first year did well, you know, third grade, and then I was off. You mentioned identity there. Like, that's a huge piece of such a change like that, where your own identity, your own story of yourself probably included the Bosari image. And so do you remember on that day where it, I mean, in a singular event, in a singular experience, the identity, that identity was challenged. The Bosari identity was challenged. In fact, I would say it was destroyed by what you did. Do you remember what that felt like at the end of that experience? Like what you internally, when you walked off the field that day? Man, I, I, I know, I can tell you exactly what happened. We were, we were over my cousin's, you know, house in the neighborhood because, you know, I live in South Nashville, but we was out in East Nashville. So that's a total, that's basically a lot of my father's side of the family, right? Mm -hmm. So, and I, you know, they're spending too much time in those neighborhoods. So I went over there and, and the poor state had a basketball goal up and said, hey, everybody play basketball. So it's like, I don't pick him. You know, they was like, and I was playing out there and I wasn't any good. It's like, man, that's both sorry. Don't pick him up. No, you know, so yeah, and I wasn't any good, so I would sit there and watch, and or I might shoot around and you know, just you know, couldn't make a shot, couldn't do anything, couldn't dribble well enough. But then they got tired of that, and it's like, oh, somebody got a football, let's go out here in a field right beside it and said, okay, let's play some football. 
So I was like, yeah, okay, you know, like whatever. And then once it got in my hand, because, you know, it's, it's the regular, that old game where you throw the ball up in the air and then you catch it and everybody try to tackle you. Yeah. It, it was that game. Yeah. You know, that was the game. And I threw it up and it landed in my hands and nobody couldn't tackle me. You know what I'm saying? Running them over, running past them, putting moves up. Nobody could stop me. Nobody could bring me down. Right. So they was just like, man, this is like John Riggins, right? Because that was the big, you know, tough running back back in the front of for the Washington Redskins. You know, Franco Harris, he, he cannot be stopped, right? So, you know, then I was like, man, you know what I'm saying? You know, they was like, can, can you believe it? The most, nobody can stop him. You know what I'm saying? This both side. And all of a sudden, it's like it went from both sorry to John Riggins. So that yeah. my nickname changed. You see what I'm saying? Right in there. So it was just like, oh, dude, that John Riggins right there, he's something. So that's when that name changed, and people never called me the both sorry again. And identity changes in literally the first time that the you first time. That, that first time. A, was it literally the first time that a football entered your hands? Into my in my hands. You know, they put one in when I was a baby, but we didn't. I never did play. Right. You know. You know, it's like oh, you know, just to take the little Sears and Robux picture. You know, you when you like, <laughs> like a couple of months old. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but, but other than that, no, I never touched until that was the first day. And so you you've got this burst of hope and this in in the blink of an eye, the change of an identity, and then you don't even really get to rest or enjoy that. And no, nah, man, I couldn't prove anybody wrong. We've been calling <laughs> me both sorry after potentially years of of bearing the old nickname. So oh you- my gosh, yeah, because I left them, and you know, you think I went straight to Japan for three years, and then went to Oklahoma. Well, I, I want to go back to Japan because did you you were saying you did play football when you were there? That's the first time I played organized. Okay, I was actually put on a team. You know, I was actually put on the team. Was was that was was that time? Was was my first year going on over there? Because I was like, and I've never played organized. You know how to line up and play what plays yeah. are. I ain't know none of that stuff. You know what I'm saying? But I knew. I had something that be like, I know who I am, right? So when mm-hmm. they went for the first, because, you know, when you go out, they'd be like, okay, what positions do you want to play? And I was like, I want to play a position where I run the ball because I, I got that from that experience a month before. So they was like, oh, okay, you know, he run the ball. He, you know, he's big. And I was big, so, of course, they was like, well, you big, you might want to be on the line you know, be an offensive lineman or something. I was like, no, I run, you know, I run football. That's what I do. <laughs> right? That's what I do. And, man, that <laughs> first year, you know, we had nine games and I had 26 touchdowns. Nine games, 26 touchdowns. So, I mean, we're killing it every game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Three, three, I average about three touchdowns a game. So, yeah, long runs. And then that was just like, yeah, this is why. So it, it's so funny because, you know, I've always been one of the biggest in the class. I, I was telling my wife this you know, about my position. You know, and then every time you go to another level, people are, are telling you, 
or tell me, well, you too big to play the position you're trying to ask us to play. And I was like, no, nah, this is what I'm doing. I wouldn't do anything else. I wouldn't budge. Because that was a long stint where I didn't play because we was moving around, but I didn't get to play back again until I was in the ninth grade. So you go to a junior high to ninth grade, and it's like, well, you want to play this position, you're too big, you need to play something else. Like, nope. And then get to the high school. Do you want to play something? Nope. And I told my wife, I said, I figured out that the only reason why I didn't want to play anything else is because that position made me not feel like both sides. Yeah, well, you had a natural, uh, seemingly a gift for that type of a position. And and yet, I don't understand if you were scoring that much over a nine-game season. I don't understand why people kept asking you. Why did they? Why do you think they kept wanting you to change, even though you were? Because I was big for my size for for that position. So it's not normal, right? You know what I'm saying? So my size, you know, you go to another level, and it's like, well, he can't do it at that level at that size. He needs to move mm. He needs to change. He needs to move to something else. He needs to think about something else. But my, you know, stubbornness was not because I wanted to prove. It's so funny how you think it's all about proving somebody wrong. It's like, no, nah, I really wasn't trying to prove nobody wrong. I was trying to run from not being both sorry. <laughs> so you see what I'm saying? Yeah. So in that, in that position made me feel like I would never hear that again. So it's funny how when I think about if I had ever, somebody ever talked to me about that early, you, you can be good at a whole lot of positions. I probably would have thought about a whole different. Right? I could have been like, yeah, you're right. I should try some other stuff. But I was so dogmated not to try anything because that feeling of both sorry hurt me so much. You know what I'm saying? That was my driving force. So it was a good and bad thing in the end, you know? Good and bad. Because if you change, because this is the deal. Sometimes you, you, you know, I look back at it and you, and you be stubborn on certain things and you miss out on opportunities that, man, that it could have it helped me later. You're not flexible. Mm -hmm. You see what I'm saying? Sometimes, you know, when people say, well, use that use that pain and stuff as your fuel, use that pain. And, and as a coach, I've learned, it's like, okay, yeah, but it, it can be bad fuel too. Well, how, how does one with a situation like that, cause you, you got both positive things from it. And it sounds like what you're describing is there's also downsides to that attribute. But I, earlier you also, if I heard correctly said, you knew who you were. You knew who you were. You didn't want to return to that old identity. But if there are negative uh, consequences to a trait that also offers something that's positive, how, how do you think you can balance that? How can you mine it for what good things it gives you and yet not let the, the downside of that same trait cause challenges? Well, well, you know, what I've learned as I got older is, you know, it's only positive if, if it fits somebody else's need. Huh. So once somebody else doesn't need that, then it becomes a curse to you. The reason why I was positive is because it fit whoever, what team I was playing for his need. 
he can score touchdowns, he can wrestle. So, you know, yeah, he's proven that he can do this, he can do that, you know, that can go. But when it comes to a point, it's like, okay, we got we got these positions filled, and we don't even want that style of play anymore. We want to do something different. Can you be flexible enough with your diverse athletic skills to do something else? You understand what I'm saying? Well, they would they would ask you because they're maybe they're not wanting to run the ball as much or yeah they want to yeah they want to flare it out they want they need yeah. a speed back because we doing these we're not we're not going to run it thirty times a game we're just going to run it ten times and we want to find it. then all of a sudden it becomes a curse to you mm, because maybe you could be doing other other things that's why I said it, it's only positive if it fulfills someone else's need. If it doesn't fulfill a need, then it becomes a curse to you. Because you're not growing and you're not flexible. You're not, you know, you're not you're not looking at yourself as as being able to do other things. You're limiting your talent. You're limiting your growth. Does that make sense? For sure. It's like you you can it's like you catching that football, you might think is like you found a hammer. I got a hammer. Look, I've got a hammer. Everybody's been telling me I don't have a hammer. I can I can hammer nails in. That's great. But then what I hear you saying is part of the problem is then if everything becomes, if that singular approach becomes the solution to every situation, it's, it's not going to work. So you're seven years old, eight years old, nine years old, experiencing these things just being in a country, a foreign country, like you were talking about that initial experience, do you feel like that experience as a whole has uh, held lasting effects, lessons that you carry with you? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Because that's the thing with it, you know, when you start thinking, and when you have situations like this, especially as a child, and people, and most people, excuse me, most people, Know your parents or your coaches, and you're like, well, that's just what kids go through. You know, they, they, you know, talk to each other that way. They haggle each other. They, you know, they make people, you know, they talk about you. They put you down. It's just this is kids being kids. But not understanding that's a traumatic experience because this world is only what this small. You know what I'm saying? It's it's. So, you know, they don't have the experience to be like, okay, there's a world big out there's, there's a world that's bigger than ridicule. Right? <clears throat> they don't know that. You know, to them, that's all they know. That's what they exist in. So for you to minimize that experience is not as trauma and address that, it's gonna have some lasting effects, right? And, and it might be, it might be beneficial for a little while you know <laughs> but when you get older you be like man i've sold so much seeds in this into this identity and ideology that it's it's, it's created some things that i need to change that hurts relationships that really mean the most to me later as i grow because this is it when you when you you meeting that thing everybody's giving you fanfare oh he's great he's good but they ain't doing nothing but 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 watering that seed and, and making those roots stick in a little harder. 
Mm-hmm. So there was roots of growing. So you you not think it's like shoot, everybody's telling me I'm doing great. I mean, because you're young, you don't have anything compared to. This is your singular existence. You haven't had any different experiences to be like, no, nah, what they're saying is okay, but I really need to have a different perspective. You don't know. You are one highway as a kid and you're just going. <laughs> and you're looking at for many people to tell me I'm doing a good job and pat me on the back as possible. No matter how I got there, you know. It's so hard too, because it's all an external uh, reward system. It's all it's all coming, and it's maybe the only as kids. It's like you point out. It's all we've got. We don't have prior experiences to compare it against, and that's also dangerous because of the uh, conditioning of outward praise being the fuel. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you and you only ask the question. People only ask the question. Why why did you choose it? when there's no more need because that's, that's what athlete that's that's what he asked for the, the, the perspective point where there's no need and nowhere for him to put it and then his identity is challenged and then it's like okay let me go see somebody a therapist and understand who i am and what i'm supposed to be doing that's the only time to ask you. instead of when everything is going good somebody stopping praying and be like hey choose this sport and why did you choose this position? Why did you choose this profession? What was your story to bring you here? And you'd be like, well, because of trauma, because people told me this and I did that. So really my motivation is trauma. Okay, then we really need to talk about that trauma so to make sure you have it. Nobody does that. Nobody does that. <laughs> so you, you so that's why you see when you see, you know, professional athletes, you know, and me being a coach, and we'll get to that why you being a coach. Is because you see, you know, a lot of athletes out there, you know, professional athletes that, you know, doing some, some, you know, getting in some behavior and making some decisions and acting out in a way that you know some mental illness is going on there. And it's like, well, you know, that was going on the whole time. Mm. You see what I'm saying? Now the, serving a, a serving serving a need that was that was at that time at those situations. Right. Uh, held up as a positive, right, exactly. But the fuel you were putting in that car, the gasoline, was not a not a high grade, not a high, not a high grade gasoline. And so now, when there's no need for them, now they they're a problem. They're a basket case. And so it's like, no, no, no. So you see, our system takes advantage of dysfunction, and we try to, you know, articulate or or craft it in a way that that this is going to make your life better. This is like, like I said, going back to those things, use that trauma as fire. Use that trauma as motivation. That's the dumbest advice you can be. You should use healing as motivation mm. because you, because you feed healing with good things, healthy things, things that can last. Only thing you fuel in trauma with is more anger and depression. So at the end of the road, when a need is going, that's why you see a lot of those athletes and performers and stuff like that, they're usually depressed and still traumatized. It's like, how can you be depressed? You live just such amazing life that everybody got their needs met on except you. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? There's such, uh, there's such um, like a, our culture seems to watch these, I mean, we're specifically talking about athletes, but this can apply across the board. 
but it's like you watch, like as you point out, the roots that were uh, not entirely negative, but they're still based out of trauma. So you can't just turn that off when you're not in the game, not in the success of your given field, whatever that is. But then what's uh, what you're making me think is it's so sad that there is not an empathy for that trauma uh, on the other side of that when when mistakes are made. And mistakes are mistakes. I'm not coming from a perspective that uh, that there aren't consequences for mistakes, but it does seem like there is a tendency to build up someone, as you point out, because they're meeting a collective need. And then when they, through unresolved trauma, fall down, when, the, when the, there is a shaming it seems mm-hmm. like exactly exactly have you always like thought in these like you mentioned you didn't have a you know giant perspective as a nine-year-old and none of us do but has have these kinds of thoughts been with you from for a very long time like looking at the the inner trauma of motivations Oh yeah, and I, I think it's always been into because you you can do one two of things when you when you go through trauma, right? One or two is is a fork in the road, right? You're either going to be an angry person and 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 hate people, right? Or you're going to be a more compassionate person and have empathy on people. It's it's, it's one or the other. There's no middle, right? By the grace of God, I chose the latter, right? So I'm always thinking about people and caring about people and having empathy on people, on things. And I'm always looking for opportunities to find empathy with people. And that's most of the time you can hear that when people tell their stories, Mm. you know, because they've told that story a million times to somebody and, and, and they understood that nobody was listening. I wanted to be the person who was listening to be like, Hey, stop. Let's talk about that. What did that feel like? What did that think about? Right. So, or you could be the other person who'd be like, shoot, everybody's bad. I don't care about nobody. I don't think about nobody. It's about me. It's about how I feel, you know, whatever. You know what I'm saying? Whatever I have to do to 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 make myself feel like I'm on top to never feel like at the bottom again, I'm gonna do it. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, no, it's it it's making me think like in any given life situation, there can be a moment where we see another person's actions and even if we don't say it to them, and by the way, I'm speaking from my own like looking deep in myself and going, I can judge an action without really asking those questions, how did you get here? What, what is motivating this? I want to, but I still perceive in myself there can be this immediate, almost conditioned response. And what I want to know is how did you become the person that led with the opposite perspective? You know, like I said, sometimes, you know, Hey, that's a good question. I'm, I'm gonna have to think about. I guess I would have to say, 
this, this is the best way to say it. I, I, I think you, you've given me more clarity to why people choose those two paths. Mm -hmm. Because they, because, because usually the person who, who choose the hate route and anger route, they usually treat others the same way they were treated. If you notice that. Yes. Right. While the other person, he try, he is more aware if those same things are happening to him, runs to that aid. So my choice matter was I became that person who never liked the bully, but always wanted to be, because I knew what they were going through, being called both sorry. Mm -hmm. You know, but it's just because they didn't have, they wasn't put in the position to find what that need was. Mm. Me being case, a coach now, I line people up with the need. Where can I position your skill set instead of you trying to mesh in with the crowd, which where they're not accepting you? You know what I'm saying? Mm. Let's build up where your need is. Let's build you up. Instead of the other side of the, uh, of the track, where it's like, they treated me that way, I'm going to be on top, and I'm going to treat everybody else the same way. So I was looking for hurt in other people that resembled the hurt that I experienced. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah, there, there, you can so easily, uh, I don't think that this is a word, but otherize somebody, uh, and, and maybe otherizing in the way I'm saying is like you put them in a, you, sh you shove them into this box of whatever label you pull off the shelf of your mind. You, and, and there's no actual meeting that person when they become that uh, label, when they become that uh, immediate response. And what's so powerful about what you're saying is the pain of being bullied and I will say, speaking from my, my own perspective, uh, in kindergarten, I can still remember uh, a, a kid slamming my fingers in the door of, a, of the bathroom. And also, I still have lead uh, from a lead pencil in my back from a kid. And I, and I hear exactly what you're saying of that negative experience can nonetheless open up the ability to see pain, even when it looks like somebody's being hurtful is that am, am i on on path with that that you yeah, absolutely you, you're able to see it you know even when they're being hurtful but it is when those people on the other side are being hurtful you know they're also putting them in a position that they're not ready to receive healing yet and it seems like people don't even know they it seems like know. They have no, but they have they have to get to the point where the need is gone. Hmm. Talk more about that. The in this case, the need being uh, the need to get away from the Bosari identity. Is no, 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 the need that you think you fulfilling in somebody else what they want. Right. Once that's taken away, then you finally got to deal with it. Mm. Right, because your driving motivation was the accolades and being on top, so you don't have to have that feeling no more. I 
show them. I show them. I show them. So what happens to them when you don't have nothing else to show or there's no opportunity for you to show that? You know, you can't cover that up anymore. You, you're, you're there. You're exposed. You're left with yourself. Left with yourself to deal with. Right? And, you, and the sad part about it is for great athletes or great performers or in anything, business or anything, high performers, you know, it takes them a long time to get there because if, if you're great at it, that stimuli, accolade stimuli you get from meeting that need is a drug. You know, they don't, they, you know, that feels better than finally going and dealing with that trauma. And it's only in losing that you, you even are going to take the time, like if the outside world is constantly rewarding you for your avoidance of this dark, hard work you got to do, but you still, I mean, do you think that someone can pursue that work before that period happens? Or is it just inevitable that we have to get to that, that place of losing? You have to have... You have to have empathy for the abuser. Like I never did. One thing never entered my heart about the ones that called me both sorry. I never hated them. It didn't make me angry. It made me feel bad. But I didn't take on their. I didn't take on the anger. I didn't take on whatever anger was in them to make me feel that way. So as a child, you got to close out. You're open to a whole lot of things, you know. Once you start taking in the pain of that, and then you add into that anger of why they called you that or who they are, or, you know, whatever position was going on in their mind for them to bully you. Once you take on both of those things, you start on that path of hate, anger. Yeah, I prove you. You know what I'm saying? But if you on that end, was like, yeah, I took the pain, right? And I took that, but I'm not going to take on the anger. And how did you do that at such a young age? Because you mentioned a moment ago that most people will displace whatever, whatever pain was put on them, whatever aggression, whatever violence, whatever trauma, and they will, they will deliver that outward themselves. They will do what was done to them. And it's very few cases, or I, actually, I have no idea how many cases it is, but you did not uh, maintain that cycle. How did you How did you have the wherewithal at such a young age not to be open to the influence of that anger? You know what? I, you know, some people, you, you try to explain, you know, spiritual things. You know, there's some you mean you really don't know. But I remember, and I wasn't really in a real religious family. I mean, we we talked about, about mm -hmm. it. we went to church, but I mean, nobody, you know, from my family on both sides, they wasn't really living it. You know what I'm saying? You know, they playing a role, you know, because that's what you do in the South. You go to church every Sunday. But what my mother did when I was four, she told me, right, what you need to do every night is you need to get on knees and pray every night. I don't care whatever you do at night before you go to bed, you need to pray every night. So I was like, okay, okay, I'll do that, you know, because it was just me and her at the time because my father had left when I was born. He didn't come back till I was seven. 
like I told you earlier. Right. So it was just me and her. So, so I was just following along. I said, okay, okay, okay. So I have been doing that ever since I was four years old. I can't, my wife will tell you now, I don't, I don't go to bed unless I kneel in front of it. And I kneel down before I get in bed. There's never, there's never a day missed. I can't sleep without doing it. So I've been doing it ever since I was four. So I don't know if that was some type of, mm. you know what I'm saying, interaction yeah. to what God was or not. You see what I'm saying? Or to yeah. make me see, because I was always different. I was out more empathetic, more caring, more seeing the world different. You know what I'm saying? Wisdom, all that stuff is just, you know, I don't know if that was part of it or what, but I just remember that that love connection with people from, from that time, I'm also like, you need to go do that. And you need to do that every night. Make sure you kneel on the floor before you get up and go to bed every night. I've been doing it ever since I was four, you know, and I'm 48 now. So, you know, I don't know if that was part of it. I can't say, but as you get older, you'd be like, okay, that was my journey. You know what I'm saying? Starting by myself because nobody else in the family did it. It was just me. So mm. I, I, I guess that kind of trained me to walk out. I didn't mind walking out some type of morality by myself. Mm-hmm. So if anything, I guess the reflection of it is that discipline of praying every night by myself created something in me that I can walk that out by myself. I didn't have to be you know, some people, you, you get little kids, they follow the crowd. If so-and-so's bullying so-and-so, then we all going to bully him. You know, if so-and-so's like you, then we all, because that's what the crowd is doing. So I, I guess that discipline kind of taught me to, and gave me the confidence that I could walk that out by myself. I didn't have to have anybody else's approval. And that's like an anchor, and it's the opposite of that need that you described that you still had to, contend with you still had to battle that out in the world but uh what an incredible gift to from from your mother to suggest that and what a what a path for you to start a practice a daily practice an engagement with god with the divine with the with the mystery i i like to use terminology where someone who might be listening who who might receive that differently that but you you had a relationship and you know, man, a seven, like, or no, a four-year-old who, who is drawn to a path of that nature. Yeah. I was going to connect, you know, with, I guess it was the discipline of connecting with God and humanity spiritually. Yeah. It was a discipline. You, you didn't know what it's going to do for you then, but it actually, I guess if you think about it, I mean, you get this first time you actually, you made me actually reflect on it and think about it. You know, that was probably it. That's incredible because you also said God and humanity, uh, hum- because there is what you're describing. It sounds like with being able to see another person, you, it's so interesting because, you know, and again, call these terms, whatever is comfortable for you, uh, listener, <laughs> I would, I would say we, we need not, uh, limit it, but you're talking about a, an engagement between yourself because you were you were talking about that internal uh, engagement, that internal meeting of yourself, as opposed to what the world out there is telling you to be, 
and do. You're talking about your connection with the divine. And you're talking by this connection, more connection with other people, all happening at once. So how did we get to Bobby Jackson, the coach, the Bobby Jackson? How did we get to where we are today? Well, it, it's so funny because, you know, as you as you talking about that and, and, and talking about that seed, which I just you just oh, man, you brought it up today. I just never even thought about it. You know how how big that seed was at four because I, I look at all of the choices I've made and it's always been about you know people and the whole you know I remember you know when we were in high school you know and I was playing with my team and it was my year to be the big guy on campus right mm-hmm. the beat up star on campus. And we had another guy that was playing position with me, but he he wasn't as big as I was, and he wasn't getting the accolades as as I was going in, you know. So, and but for us to win the championship, I had to play the same position, but it's a less high, high it's a less profile position for us to win it all because this has been the first championship that our school has ever won, right? Now, since, since, you know, we won the first one in 89. So since then, they've won 15, 15, 16 championships. Mm. But we won the first one. So I changed. I told the coach, I said, yeah, I want to go ahead and change. So, you know, so we'll be better off. You know what I'm saying? Just put it behind me. I'll help him because the way we was positioned, he was playing fullback and I was playing tailback. He, I'm 220 pounds tailback. He's 160 pounds fullback. It wasn't going to work. Cause he couldn't move anybody out the way. You know what I'm saying? Right. So I was like, let me switch. You know what I'm saying? And he'd be brought, I'll lead the way for him. Yeah. You'll block for, for him. him. Wow. That's a powerful image just by itself. Yeah. I have block for him because it's better. Yeah. For the whole, for the whole, it's better for the whole. And he ended up getting a Division One scholarship, was one of the best in all state and everything, you know, baked away after it. <laughs> and, I, and I still got mine, of course. You know, I was still ranked high, you know, All-American at, my, at, at that position, fullback position. So, the end in high school, I didn't, um, since I was the man on campus, I didn't tolerate bullying. We didn't have a culture of bullying at my, at my high school. We didn't have that. When I got to be a senior, you know, that was eliminated because I set that standard mm-hmm. and that culture. And so and I remember a lot of the sophomores, they was like, man, I remember they they text me all the time, send me a message, you know, because we reconnect on social media in years. And they's like, man, remember the time you stood up for me for that, that time? I remember you used to, you know, you never went to, you know, a couple of times out of the week, you didn't go eat lunch with the seniors because you go off campus. You would sit in the cafeteria and eat with us, you know, the fresh, you know, the sophomores and the you know, yeah. underclassmen and, you know what I'm saying, and talk to us and, and, and encourage us and stuff like that. Wow. So, you know, it's, it's just amazing. You know, I never thought about it, you know, and I remember even in the ninth grade, I used to, you know, instead of being out with your friends, most of the time I used to gather the elementary kids to and go to their house until they 
you know, mom's, hey, take, bring them out to the field, and I watch them, and we'll play football together, and I show some stuff, and, you know, and they used to always come to the house. It was so funny. You'll see a little third grader come up to my house, and I knock on the door. It's like, hey, uh, Miss Jackson, can Bobby come out to play? <laughs> so, so I run to <laughs> Bobby. Because you're, you're six feet. Uh, I'm, I'm six, six, two, six, two. 250, 250 <laughs> pounds. You see what I'm saying? They, <laughs> can he come out and play? But, you know, it was it, because I could see, you know, from the, from what they were going through, their housing situation, that if nobody came and steered them in the right direction, you know what I'm saying? Mm. That for a fact. So I, I could always see the dead end, you know what I'm saying, years in yeah. advance for people. So it's like if I don't step in right now or I don't buy no structure right now, it could go. My dad, uh, when I was uh, growing up, uh, there was a line that I remembered that he would say a lot. And I don't know if this is something somebody else said. And he just popularized that in my in my growing up. But he said, we're defined by what we will allow. And I think what you're describing fits exactly like that. Like you saw. Correct me if I'm wrong, but you saw the potential uh, impact of your actions or the lack of your actions, you saw that you had the ability to connect in such a way that could radically change these little, these little ones lives and all the way up to, uh, underclassmen at high school. And, and it sounds like you also saw what would happen if you didn't become that person. Exactly. Was it hard to, like, what was your experience with the example of you switching positions in the year where you are the heir to the throne? You know, you are the, the, the crown is yours. It's the full expectation. You make this other decision. And I, I just want to pause at that image that you're literally stepping in front of the other. Pl- like you're literally for those that don't know football, you're charging in front and, and paving the way literally for the person with the ball, this other gentleman, to to score. And I think that's one of the powerful things for folks that may be listening who don't care anything about, um, maybe they've not yet cared about football. There's a whole life of story, of, of triumph and struggle in that image alone of you becoming the person that's willing to step in front and take the brunt of the contact so that other people... Was that hard? Did you, did you regret that at all? I ain't gonna lie. At that time, I was having some mental struggles. You know. Yeah. You know, reasonably so. Yeah, yeah, I was having because you know it was going to be my time, but I knew it was it was needed to be done. You know what I'm saying? That that that's that was that was going to have to happen. It couldn't happen the other way. You know, so and he was good at it. You know what I'm saying? He was good at getting the holes open. He was good at it. He could really uh, blossom and show his potential. So, you know, that was a lesson in itself to yes. me, you know, as far as, you know, you being successful is, is able to put people in the best position, even if it requires you to sacrifice so they can be at their best, right? And as a leader regardless of what you sacrificed, right, you become your best. 
because it's, it's only certain people in an organization or on a team where their skills is transferable, right? It's just not one thing, right? So say so he was a good running back. Yeah, you know, he's fine. But, you know, if you're a leader, you really are all around. You know what I'm saying? You really are really good at a, at a vast amount of different things. But you, but but when you when you understand that, you be like, okay, I know I'm good at a whole lot of things, but who can I find to be the best at all of those little things? You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Who can I find on my team or in my organization are the best at all of those things, right? And if I can organize them and put them at their best in all those little things then I'm better because I'm good at a lot of things. But if I can find everybody's best at, at all those things, then I'm better. It's the, it's a difference of perspective. It, yeah. Then we win. Right. Because, because the joy that I get at the end and nobody, because I remember we won a state championship and it was our first one. I remember the day and everybody rushed to the, to the middle of the floor, holding up the things, standing behind. And I didn't rush to the middle. I went far away because I wanted to see everybody. I wanted to see the crowd <sighs> jumping up and down. And then you'd be like, dude, this is what my sacrifice built. Wow. Putting everybody in the right position, putting them in the right spots, you know, making everything gel, making everything go. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> And that's you crazy. Back and look at it, and then you'd be like, you'd be like, man, that's that that was but that was my trophy. Yeah. Seeing everybody. The trophy was great. It was cool. But the trophy was seeing everybody celebrate together and reaching that goal. That's so I, I, yeah, yeah. I didn't want to be in I wanted to be away so I could see it. That's the only way I could see the trophy. The trophy was the people, not the actual. You know what I'm saying? Not the actual, you know what I'm saying, material. It's item that, that yeah. yeah. It's the people. So if you can get people like organizations and people to, and leaders to, to really, you know, to get that. And, and that's a skill, right? And that's a skill where uh, going back to what we said, you have to address those traumas. So you have had all these numerous examples of being placed in a situation in your story where you, you, you had choices that had to be made at every, at every juncture. And sometimes you didn't have choices. Sometimes you, you were on a journey to another country with all of its new things, but you, at, at, in high school, you were thinking in terms of the collective as opposed to only yourself. You are a part of that collective, but the very act of stepping back and looking like, I don't know that I'll ever forget personally, just hearing your story. I don't know that I'll ever forget what you just shared about stepping back and looking at that whole and that that being your trophy. So I, I want to, I really want to hear how all of these lessons that were learned prior to entering into the world of career 
and into the world of what you do now, we've kind of led up to all these different key points that built you, that forged this perspective. How did we get to you entering into these types of work situations? Take me through, if you would, like, what did your career look like after high school? Well, you know, I went to, uh, you know, got a Division One scholarship to Northwestern University mm-hmm. in Chicago. And, you know, this is one thing I, I've, I've learned now about life, that, you know, we talk about chapters in life and, 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 and stories resetting. It's like, you think you live this one monolithic, straightforward, everything is connected, everything is so-and-so. It's not, <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's not, you know, and, and, and you, and, and, I, and, and you think it like, okay, I did that, I made that sacrifice. Okay, now it's time for me to go out, you know what I'm saying? And do what I need to do to reach my goal is get to the NFL, right? Because I have, you know, issues going on personally in my life. My, you know, mom and dad, they wasn't working out. You know what I'm saying? And then you know, it go in a situation where you're going to, you know, leave my mom again, you know? So I was, mm. you know, thinking about that and had to take care of because I'm the only child. Mm. So the, the pressure of dealing with, you know, I have to become, you know, this thing that every, this identity everybody was telling me I was supposed to become, right? And the I'm challenge. Sorry. Which was what? I'm sorry, I don't mean to interrupt. What, well, what it, it was, you know, I was, you know, I was all American. So it's like, oh, he's going to be NFL player. Uh-huh. So if you, you, and then all of a sudden, it's so funny because <laughs> when I, you know, won a championship and became all American, and then I would come back. To Nashville to see my cousins on my father's side, and they couldn't believe it. They'd be like, "Cause I haven't seen them, you know, since the, the time they called me Mozart." So, so they would be like, Are "You telling me both sorry's all the How could that even? Happen? You know, they just like, <laughs> what? Are you serious? Does that both? How could that even happen? It's like you know, totally different identity. But you, you, since I was the first one to go to college, a big college, you know, go to college. Mm-hmm. And the first premier athlete on my family on both sides, you know, leaving home, that was a pressure, right? That, and, and that I wasn't ready for. I, you know, I, I knew it was there, but it was it was a lot. You know what I'm saying? It 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 it, it was a lot. And those lessons was whoof. It was tough, man. It, it was it was a struggle trying to live up to that because you you know I was going through you know some coaching changes up there and and uh, it it was hard, man. <laughs> it's, it's, it's even hard for me to you know to think about it. So so I I I, I try 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 to stay focused. So uh, going to Northwestern University, I was one of the top guys in the country recruited. So they was excited to have a All-American coming to the school, top crew they've had in years. 
so I was excited. I was like, you know, it's fine. Well, Chicago is a great school, you know, Ivy League type of education. I thought I was pretty smart because I was, you know, did pretty good academically in my high school in Oklahoma, you know, honor roll, you know, just I me, mean, I was doing pretty good. Thought I was. So, you know, I get there and, you know, I'm really not a big fan of Chicago, you know, kind of homesick. Like this is, you know, this is the worst. You see what I'm saying? So and, then, you know, and then I'm struggling academically, hard academically. So, I mean, almost like about to fuck out academically. And what I figured I understood then too was, you know, all the stuff that I wasn't ready for. Like they were so, you know, you know, they could, you know, I wasn't a good reader as I thought I was. I couldn't write well. I couldn't speak well. So here this all American living a life, good life, you know what I'm saying? Dreaming high school, it was I was completely shattered and different coming to Northwestern as high academic institution, playing division one football, you know, and and then not having anybody to talk to about it back home because ain't nobody never been to college or been to school. They can't like commiserate, relate. Yeah, they can't relate or help or assist. Oh. So, and I was like, man, so the pressure was, I just got to make it. You know, I got to make it, you know, and I was having, you know, issues at home where I had to come home during the summertime to kind of check, you know, check on my mom, make sure she's fine. And and going to uh, summer school to try to make up credits. Mm. I would do a good in school, you know, do a good in college. So a lot of people didn't even know that was going on when I was coming back. Like, how are you going to be, how's this new, new year coming up? This is going to be your time. This is going to be your time to shine. This is going to be your, you know, this is going to be it. So I came back to school and I wasn't in the best shape and I wasn't supposed to be in because I came home, you know. Right. Taking my mom. So they was like, oh, you were in good shape. You're supposed to come back in good shape. I was like, well, you know, it's fine and stuff. Then figured out some health issues too later that they never even checked, right? <clears throat> like, <laughs> funny thing, I have bad allergies, extreme bad allergies between July and end of September. End of July. So I'm extreme bad allergies. And, and nobody's never even talked about it. You know, it's just like I really struggle. Right. So I used to go back up there and their policies was, was high. This is back in early nineties. So I would go up there and it's like I can't run. I can't I can't do anything. I feel like I'm about to die. I can't, can't breathe. breathe. And they were just like, oh you just not in shape. So and then that that crushed me because it's like, dude, maybe I'm just not in shape. Maybe I'm not any good. Maybe uh-huh. I'm maybe I am a, a lazy bum. Maybe I am a so and so. Maybe you know. So I get the deals. Like oh, every time he comes back to camp, he ain't ever in shape. So that was the the deal. It wasn't until I was thirty two years old when I got so bad, you know, mucus was oozing out of my eyes and and it's just coming out real bad. And the lady's like, if you didn't come within a week, you probably would have died. And I was like, what are you talking about? She said, your head was filling up with so much bacteria and fucking years ago. She said, how long you how long you been dealing with this? I said, I've been dealing with this basically all my life. It's every time this time of year I can't breathe. Like when she says, you should have been having an inhaler. <laughs> I, said, I said forever. <laughs> 
and, and it came out because my daughter, you know, she got older, she was running track. She has to have an inhaler in April, right? Mm-hmm. When she plays sports. And now she says, you should have had an inhaler. She said, because you was running with with, with only one lung and not even full capacity with that one. So it's just, it's just funny how, you know, just stuff, you know, you kind of work through that barrier of, you know, the coach is mad at you because they don't think you're shaped. And it's like, dude, you you have an ailment. <laughs> Nobody's even telling you about it. You see what I'm saying? You're, you're facing, like, all the pressure of your identity as redeeming uh, or not. Rede- I don't want to say redeeming, but you, you have all this pressure because you're the first yeah. you've got all this pressure because of your athletic background. Yeah. You're dealing with that, the academics, not to mention undiagnosed health issues that are, that are also making you think worse of yourself. Worse of myself and, and the reputation just, just destroying. Oh. You. So we go into the sophomore year after this, that I'm coming back out of shape. So third game of the season, you know, you know, the coach is mad. They thinking I don't take it seriously. So, but I'm destroying our uh, first team defense in practice. I mean, destroying. So we play in a game and the players on the defense, they're like, hey, man, you need to just put him in. I know you're probably mad at him, but dude, just dude, you need to put him in. We go at halftime, he – pulls me over to the side and I'm thinking like, oh man, he's finally gonna tell me, you know, it's time, you know, he's gonna go finally put me in. He says, take your stuff off. You're off the team now. You're causing too much contention with our team. So he kicks me off the team in the middle of a game, right? This oh. is college football. So I'm like, what the heck is going on? You see what I'm saying? It's like, I hear you talk about transferring and you're out of here. And I was like, what the heck is going on? So I was my sophomore year. I was off the team that entire year. So I'm so so everybody's like, I'm on the sidelines in the first half, in the second half, I'm in the stands. That's crazy. Why did he do that in the why did he turn on you in the middle of story keeps going on? So okay. the office of coordinator, meaning the office of coordinator, he wanted the guy's job, right? <laughs> He wanted his job. He knew he was kind of on his way. He's an African-American head coach and an officer coordinator. James, he wanted his job. So at the end of the year, you know, the head coach, African-American coach calls me and he's like, look, Bobby, I'm so sorry the way I treated you. You know, that's the time I was sick and I was in the hospital and officer coordinator had to take over those few weeks. So he was telling me all type of things that you were doing that you wasn't doing. He said it was extremely my fault. I was like, yeah, man, I ain't got no beef with you. You know what I'm saying? I said, that dude over there. So he's like, don't worry about it. We're going to get it taken care of. You know, we're going to talk to uh, uh, one of my, uh, we're going we to talk to the, uh, the athletic director. We're going to get it off straight now. Whatever you need, we're going to get it. And I was like, all right, fine. So I left out of the meeting, fine. Two days later, he got fired. And that day, the office of coordinator hands in his resume to get the job. So, of course, he didn't get it. So, the president, when that happened, when I got kicked off the team, the president of the school, AD, all of them calling me on the phone, please don't leave, don't go nowhere, that was wrong, how you was treated, yada, yada, yada. And I'm like, of course, I'm only 19 years old at this time, right? So, I'm like, how is this even happening? You see what I'm saying? (laughs) It's 19 years old. So... 
So it ends up another coach comes in. Another, another coach comes in. He's a coach that recruited me to go to Colorado, right? And I told him, he's like, well, yeah, I want you to come play fullback for us because I played fullback, you know, for, you know, when I made the change for our team. Right. And I told him, I was like, nope, I'm not playing fullback anymore. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I'm going to play that. But you're not going to play fullback anywhere in the country. And I was like, uh... Yes, I am. You know what I'm saying? He, he said, you're not going to play tailback anywhere in the country. You, you're going to play somewhat, something else. I was like, you ain't going to come in my house and then tell me I'm not going to play somebody that expect me to go to your school. You're crazy. He ends up taking a new job, taking the job with, you know, the, so he's, he's, he's my head coach. Whoa. <laughs> so I'm dealing with him all my years with him him holding a grudge against me because of that conversation we did had. Which it occurred like years. I'm telling you how it occurred. Because my the two years, because I had two years with the former coach and then two years with him. Actually three. But the first two, you know, that was the position I had, right? I was running was tailback, you know, sing back. So he wasn't, he, you know, he couldn't do nothing. Then because that's the position I had, but he just wouldn't play me. Right. So the fifth year, the only way you can get a fifth year is if you have to go ask permission from him. Like, hey, will you give me my fifth year to replay you? So he says, Yeah, I give you my fifth year, but you gotta play fullback for me. That same conversation shows up again, huh? <laughs> I finally got you where I always wanted you. That's what they say. And so what happened? <laughs> so, I mean, I, I played, you know, I didn't play because he didn't even have my position in much. So I was just there, just hanging around with him. But all the team, every, it's so funny because I would go play scout team all my years there, you know, play against the first defense because he wouldn't go play me on the first team, so I go play scout defense. Mm-hmm. Play against the first D just to keep my skills up. So I would get all these awards every week. Scout team player of the year, scout team player of the week, scout team player. So I got all these little plaques. Scout team player of the week or a t-shirt or something. And then I got the award at the end of the year, my senior year, before I took the fifth year. They give an award for the player who didn't play, but he gives most contribution to the team, most well respected. Gives my, so, of course, the team, they vote that. So they voted me because they knew I was getting screwed up. So they give me that a big award, the big most valuable team player award, right? So I get that award. So I'm sitting up here like, this guy's screwing me over. And then I'm getting these these – you know what I'm saying? These little yeah. quiet team awards. You're getting the feedback that people know who you are, what you're doing, this, this, uh, for the greater good that you've lived prior to this and now in this situation too. So you, they can't completely hide the fact that this is a real injustice. Yeah, it's real injustice. So I'm dealing with that. You know, I'm 22. So it's so funny. And then at my last game, Right, we played against Penn State. And I tell him before the game, I was like, dude, why are you even taking me to these games? You ain't never going to play. This is my last one. Why don't you just leave me here? Of course, he couldn't do that because PR. 
You know what I'm saying? He can't came in there. So I, now I got to bring him. So we go, and then, you know, players getting hurt. That's right, because Penn State is number two team in the country now. So running backs getting hurt. And he's putting everybody before before me. For, I mean, I'm fifth straight. I'm like, how can I be freaking shit? So I was like, I don't really care. It's not, all four of them get hurt that game. So, so we hit the last last bit of the game. And I remember, and I was like, okay, you go out there play. You know, and my friend was telling me, my before he said, man, you going to score a touchdown. I said, I'm like, dude, I don't know. He don't ever even play me. So what are you talking about? This is my last game. I'm riding off in the sunset. It's whatever, right? So he's like, okay, I'm serious, man. Something's going to happen. So it's like, okay, I run in, whatever. And then I, I rip it, right? I ain't touched the ball in years. You see what I'm saying? In live action. Yeah, you've been on the sidelines. Yeah, ripped it, right? Go down there, score, right? Yeah, nine carries. Was it six carries, 54 yards, a touchdown, right? And that was my last play in college was in the end zone against Penn State. The, the only touchdown, the only touchdown I ever scored. Was the last part, and this was after being sitting on on the bench because of this strange situation. This yeah, yeah, coaches couldn't even explain it. And you then get one shot and you score. And I score. Six carries and I get not, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's any, that was that your, the end of your fifth year? That was the end of fifth, that was the last play I ever played in. You just used the words right off into the sunset. And even though those other years, that had to have been really hard. What an incredibly triumphant. Yeah. So, 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 so of course, you know, and this is Joe Paterno when he was playing. So he's going off on the sidelines because they couldn't stop me. Right. Even they was already going to win the game, but he's still trying to coach. Like, what the, who the heck is this? You see what I'm saying? You know, where did he come from? You know what I'm saying? So he's And then the people on ABC is like, he's ripping shirts. You know, they go into my backstory on ABC. So it was a Bobby Jackson, all American coach, so and so. He's just been sitting on the shelf. All these years, you know what I'm saying? And you know what I'm saying, and here he is, you know, yada yada yada. And then even the fans, I walk out, it's like, man, that was unbelievable what you did as well. And then I walk out, and they was like, Hey, ABC wants to talk to you in the press conference, right? Notice I have never been <laughs> nobody, you see what I'm saying? Yeah, nobody I never went to a press conference. So I'm sitting up here. You know, at the press conferences, my running back coach beside me, the head coach is beside me, right, and another player. So they quickly rushed to me. And they were like, Bobby Jackson. He said, you was automatically coming out of high school, you know, and nobody's, you know, lost contact you ever heard from you. Uh, you know, how would you describe, you know, your college career? You know, this has come to an end right now. But this is unbelievable, right? This is how we started. So I look, I stand up and look at the camera, right? And I look to the right, you know, to my head coach, and I look to the left of my running backs coach. And they freak it out, right? Because they don't know what I'm going to say. Yeah, are you going to literally, like, share what has been happening all these years? <laughs> and I said, I looked at the camera, I said, you know, I said, I thank the Lord for the opportunity 
to play football, you know, play football in this last game. And I thank my coaches, you know, for giving me the opportunity to play and experience this last great run with my team. And got up and walked away. Wow. Wow. And that was it. That's another situation where uh, you had the option to act from a place of revenge, anger, and anybody that's listening to this story could easily go, you know, did, did you, did you cream them? Did you, did you put it on blast for the entire, you know, everybody tuning into ABC, but you, you chose not to. Was that a struggle at all? Or was that, did that come easily? Did, was there a temptation to? It wasn't any, it wasn't any temptation at all. You know, it was so funny because I didn't even hold any hate and anger towards him because it's funny because we used to go on our, our trips. His son used to sit with me on the trips, on all the trips, on the bus rides and trips. He's also, when he started playing football, his first football, his football number he chose was mine. <laughs> so you, you understand what I'm saying? So he would sit up there and I would he would talk about football about life and I give wisdom about this, this and that. You know, and his his coach, his dad would be sitting behind me, listening to me as I talk and yada yada. So anytime they had a, a problem with a player that they needed talking to, we had a star uh, football player that they wanted to do well and and I chose to mentor him because I knew he was struggling. It was my fifth year and he came in. He ended up being all American in football. You know, he went to the Heisman Trophy. He didn't win, but he was number three in the Heisman. But his freshman year, when my fifth year there, he was ready to quit and give up because it was it was it was it was killing him. All right. Now I could have been like, Well, I know you they come you come up here to take away from my opportunities, but no, I'm gonna pull you aside and help you. You know, and I'm gonna teach you, and I'm gonna show you how how this thing is done, and how you get through it, and how you teach you how to replace. So I mentored him during that time, got him to stay, and then during the whole year, you know, he would come to me, hey, "What do I need to do? I'm struggling." You see what I'm saying? I'm hurting. Help me. So yeah, I didn't have have any didn't even hold any hard. I never wanted to hang me. I never. Anger was not a thing that I wanted to mm. absorb mm. because I couldn't think clearly. I couldn't be me oh. if I did that. You understand what I'm saying? I couldn't be the best of me. So being the best of me was more important to me than living out the satisfaction of that anger. Does that make sense? Man, that's so good because it's like, people can tell us why we shouldn't do something. And there's, there's a million voices out in the world and, and a lot of them are great and a lot of them may not be. But what I love about that is it's like, you're not, I'm going to do a double negative. You're not, not engaging in revenge because it's the quote unquote right thing to do, even though that may be a motivation, it's because it's not who you are. Who I am. Yeah. And that carries so much weight when you just said that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It feels better being me than being angry. 
man, it feels be- like, but not, not everybody has the awareness of that. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think what I, what I, I think so powerful about that is you are, when I hear those words, how did you just say it? It's, it's better being me than anger. It, it feels better to be me than to be angry. Than to be me than to be angry. Yeah. It, it just, there's a resting, there's a grounding, there is a settling into who you are. Right. What a great motivation to, for doing anything. Why not do the thing because it is at a core level yeah. who you are in alignment with who you are. Right. And how did you go from the place and we can, we can pivot into, I love how you said that life itself doesn't uh, carry these linear chapters per se, but I do want to go to, to the next, but before we do, I want to understand, did you eventually feel uh, comfortable in, in that college situation? You know, you were, you went from a place in this story where you were really carrying the weight of caring for your mother, the weight of your uh, allergy, you're, you're carrying the weight of all this. And yet you end your career running out on the field, leaving it, literally leaving it all out on the field. The, the, the hyperbole that people say, did you eventually overcome all those weights that you were feeling like you were carrying or did you, were you carrying those even on that day when you ran out and scored that touchdown? Oh, absolutely. And a matter of fact, those four years was probably the worst years I've had in my life. <laughs> that was terrible. Yeah. It was terrible. I mean, the emotional and the confusion, the turmoil, it was 24-7. <sighs> you know, and knowing that you're not going to be able to reach that goal and fulfill that identity as the years were ticking away. Right. So you, 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 and well, I remember one of the coaches after that game, he was our coordinator. He came up and he's like, yeah, man, you got screwed. You really did. He said, I, I'll be your agent for, for 25 cents. You give me a quarter, I'll be your agent since you'll make it. But I didn't have enough film, game film, because I didn't play. So, of course, I tried to, after, try to go to these little, camps but if you're not invited to a big you know camp you know but I'm trying and sit thinking like you know well you thinking that you're good you made good decisions you lived a life of integrity you acted in character that you think that you're going to get rewarded later you, you think it because you know, that's part of your motivation too sure so you know that's a I think that's one of the hardest spiritual lessons people have to go through before they find ultimate peace. You know, mm. because you, as, as I look back at it now, I understand on, on this side of life, right, on this side of life, you know, that joy and peace comes from being the best of who you are, not in the results. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. And, and that's hard. And, and that's hard to settle with that. So regardless of what the result is going to be, regardless if I ever get rewarded, I got to just find peace and joy in being the best of who I am. I can't have anything elevate above that. And if I have anything elevate above that, it lessens my ability to be the best of who I am because it's contingent on something. It has a limit. I can't reach higher. You understand what I'm saying? If you're driven and your actions are based around the idea. Results. Of, yeah. And, and X, again, it goes back to that external outcome. Yeah, outcome. That, one, that this side of life, you think you deserve or should give you. Oh, it's so, right? it's so, it's so easy to go into that. To feel oh my gosh. I've been like that for years. Yeah. Mad at, mad at God. Mad at, you see me praying ever since I was four. I did the right things. I oh. didn't allow bullying. I mentored when I shouldn't have been. I gave him grace at the podium. I so-and-so. Where where's my where's mine? Where's mine? Where's mine? Where's mine? Where's mine? You know, and then, then you have to find you have to realize it's like, dude, it, it's already in you. That place is already there, and it's bigger than what's going on outside. Mm. So that awareness of that truth did that happen over years of different lessons, or was it an epiphany? Was it a single? Cause, cause even though you are not wearing down, wearing down, <laughs> yeah, wearing down. yeah ain't gonna, you don't get it that easy, brother. <laughs> no, I mean, if you had told me that it was a one, one event thing, I would have been shocked. They wear you down. Yeah. It wear you down where you continually to claw and reason and try to understand and trying to break down. It's that you really come to, uh, you know, when I meet a challenge, right, and I give it my best and meet a challenge, at the end of the day, my reward was did I meet that challenge? Did, did you do it? That's it. Did you step in the arena? Did it? Did, that's it. That's it. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. That's it. Because it's because the next day, there's another challenge. It's another crisis. So if you're still thinking about the reward you should have got yesterday or the week before that, how much energy are you going to put in today's challenge? Mm, you're living in the past. You're living in the past. You're not. <laughs> you're not. That's a good <laughs> You're going to make excuses. Yeah. Right, you're gonna make excuses. You're gonna make, you know, like, and they're gonna be justified because you have you have data mm. that says the effort I give every day doesn't yield anything. Yeah, or yield what you expect. Yeah, it yields. It always yields something. You see what I'm saying? But what's satisfying to you? Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> It's the difference between it's it's like if you've got a clear uh, de deter predetermined idea of what this should look like exactly. my life, then you are not even seeing 
perhaps the good outcomes, the the benefits, the it's it's like the difference I'm thinking right now of an image of you've got a sheet of paper with a drawing on it and you're like where's my whatever giraffe I drew a giraffe on here there's supposed to be a giraffe meanwhile if you have a blank sheet of paper then you can draw what life is giving you exactly man it you know you're making me think there's a Leonard Cohen the the singer has this quote and I'm not I, I might butcher it but I think it's something to the effect of uh, there's a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in. Mm-hmm. And I'm just thinking about how you kept being, I mean, we all have our challenges, but what I think so powerful about your story is what you have carried and what you have done and where you have gotten as a result of, of that wearing down that you said of that crack of that light that, that gets in. And so I want to go to that place that you spoke of, of peace. You'll never have peace. I don't think, and I don't know, cause I'm not in other people's bodies and minds, but I don't know that everybody, a lot of people are at peace. Mm-hmm. I don't know that a lot of people are at peace. And so, I mean, your whole story we've been talking about is how you got there. Mm-hmm. Is this something that you have to work at daily to maintain this sense of peace? You, you, you have to, it's not, it's, it, this is the thing. Anytime you feel like you're working at it, you ain't going to never get it. Hmm. Peace is a state of being. Hmm. So you, you have to wake up and remind yourself that you have that choice to choose it. That's all it is. It's already been given to you from the divine. You have to make a choice if you want to choose it or not. So it's not another uh, effortful uh, battle to be won as much it's as... no effort. It's no... I gotta go get prepared this way. Yeah. I gotta I gotta go through all these my rituals to reach that point. Yeah. If you gotta do all that, you ain't you ain't gonna you are not gonna see it. Cause it's already been freely given. You you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. It's, it's, it's like just like when I, I I one of the scriptures talks about the lilies in the field. Um, it talks about do they worry about anything. They don't worry. They just be beautiful what they do. Mm. They just go about their business. You see what I'm saying? Let them win, take them wherever they, wherever it wants to blow. The storm comes, they just go through the storm, hurricane, you know, tornadoes. Like, they're not worried. You know what I'm saying? They're good at being lilies. They're good at... But, but, you, still, but you still notice them. And they're beautiful. And they're beautiful. So, you know, it, it, it's a choice and then what you get to is all the results they're nothing but add tools to life hmm. they're not the main thing they don't determine who I am and they don't determine how I treat others so I'm free from that bondage and that prison of when that happens or until then or tomorrow or just wait and see 
or <laughs> you, understand, you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, it's all deferred. It's all, to, yeah, yeah. Then, then you're gonna see my best self. Then you're gonna see it. Then you're gonna see my best self come to the table. Yeah, I'll be worthy when I'm be worthy. All American when I'm in the NFL when I'm not Bo Sorry. Then I will be as opposed to I'm already me and I'm already worthy. Uh, exactly. Exactly. So I think about, I talk about life, about, man, if I would have had, if I would have dealt with and wasn't focused on fulfilling other people's needs, but focused on fulfilling the dreams, desires, the talents that I had, how much more fulfilling life I could have had, right? I would have gotten to things and done things that people would have been like, it's two, 240 pounds. What are you doing being a weatherman? I love the weather. I can sit up and watch the Weather Channel all day. I think it's the most fascinating thing in the world. <laughs> right? right? It's, it's, it's magic. It's, <laughs> but but you know, to be, it's like, what are you doing that for? You know what I'm saying? What are you thinking about? You know? Mm or all type of things, you experience the wonders of the world when you don't, when you're not on that one highway trying to prove, understand, and solve your own trauma. Hmm. There's, there's, there's so many more roads you could have could have done, you know? So, so in my coaching, you know, like I'm not a results-driven coach. You know, people like, "Oh, but you get me go get results." You see what I'm saying? It's like the result is you. <laughs> you are the result of the greatest creator that's ever existed. You are the result of that. There's nothing else that has to be done. You are perfectly made. We just gotta figure out. What you made for. Mm. <laughs> That's it. You see what I'm like saying? The difference between your your story is such a great way to illustrate this, if I hear what you're saying correctly. Like we we can decide from the outside world what our path is supposed to be because it was the first thing maybe or the second thing or or if we're one of those folks that's been successful since they were three and never had a bully, never had a that could perhaps be even more problematic because you're never going to look at, but it's to stay on my, my train of thought here. It's like the difference between hearing the, the inherent path deep down versus looking out there in the world and going, okay, that's, is, is that my thing? I guess that's my thing. It sounds like weather that your love for weather, it comes naturally. It comes organically your love for coaching is interspersed throughout your whole life. So it sounds like there's a listening as opposed to a talking. Exactly. Right. You're listening to the challenge instead of determining what it is and what effect it is going to be on your life. I'm listening to the challenge. I'm not, it's here. I'm saying, and I'm going bring my best self to the table and feel good about what I brought. Celebrate what I brought. 
I'm going to celebrate before the result happens. How about that? Mm. Takes some of the pressure away if you're not placing yourself worth on the outcome. Exactly. Man, and that frees you. You're probably carrying less weight. You less weight. Huh. Right. And then whatever outcome is, then you adjust to that. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? And because at the end of the day, if you keep showing up, you're going to do more than meet the need of whatever the world wants. Mm. You're going to blow it out the water. You're going to do exceedingly abundantly more. So let's say somebody comes to you and they want to be coached by you, but they are carrying the mentality of Bobby, you know, if I can just, you know, help me, help me, whatever, bench press 300 pounds, help me. If I could just hit my, my uh, consistent sales goals, if, and let's say that you are with them and you interpret that maybe that's what they've decided is important to them, but you can clearly tell this isn't coming from some core place. How do you work with a person to help them maybe question <laughs> that viewpoint that we all so easily can fall prey to? Give them what they want. Huh? Yeah. Because, because, because if you, because if you, if you put people on the journey of what they want, they'll find their faults of why they're not getting it. That's so good. <laughs> so you don't, uh, like, like Yoda, like any teacher, like any sensei, you're not going to try to direct them off. Absolutely not. Because I can't determine what those faults are. Mm. And they, and they have to find the faults they are ready to attack. Right, so I can I can I can see somebody I can talk to over that they could be like, oh, I want to do this, this, and that, and I already know about fifty things, errors in 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 that pathway, right? Mm -hmm. And then I can be like, okay, for me to build, for me to build the perfect error, I'm going to say they need to address these ten right here. They might not be ready to put that ten that right there. So I have to make sure they find the faults they are ready to bring their best selves to. Because hmm. my goal is not to solve problems. My goal is give you confidence to solve your own. That's so face, and solve, it's face and solve your own. That's how I make you self-sufficient. Or you keep running back to me. And a lot of business strategy, a lot of, it seems as though a lot of teachers. And, and I'm they not want that because you keep, because yeah. they keep getting your money. Correct. I used to, I used to be a fitness trainer. That was my goal, you know, traits, you know, one of my life journeys, fitness, strength coach, work with athletes. And, and that's what the business model is. I give you just enough to give you a result, but not enough where you can be self-dependent. <laughs> that, that, you know what I'm saying? That's a horrible coach. <laughs> to me, that's horrible, you know, and that's not fair. You know, that's not fair to that person, especially when you know they can really have a real life change. That means you really don't really, you really don't want them to have a full life change. Mm. You want them to be dependent on you, if that makes sense. For sure.
you're placing the highest level of respect on another human being in my estimation when you give them the respect to let them fail but also the respect that you're not the holy one you're not the uh, wisdom containing you're not the the great uh, teacher that's going to be their savior in this equation exactly they have to be the narrator and owner of their own interpretation of this story yeah i'm struck by what you just said because you have a quote uh from your website around and i'm just going to read it there's nothing more heartbreaking to me than to witness good people miss out on the greatest life experiences because of misinterpreting a challenging situation Man, that seems connected to what you're talking about right now. Is Would you say that's accurate? That's accurate. And it's all about how you get to that interpretation, you know? So mm. you, you get to, that's why I said you, you give them what they want. So when they meet that fault, it's a honest reality. Hmm. To them. Right. It's yeah. an honest reality to their story and how they interpret it. I can't determine what the misinterpretation is. They have to determine what that is. Man, that fault is right. That is correct. This is how I saw that. And this is what emotion I brought to the table to make that this way. All those little tangible things. I can't see that. Mm. But I can't see those little small, you know, as we as a trainer say, work out your, your minor muscles, work out your support muscles. Don't just work out the quads, work out all the small muscles in the knee. Now, I can't see all those things. You see what I'm saying? But they can. They can, you know, through that journey of letting them, giving them permission to be able to walk that out. Right? All my job is to I have to create, and it, 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 it might sound different, but I have to create an environment that what you want is possible. That's all I got to do. Oh, man, you really want to do that? Okay, let's do it. How do you think we need to go after it? <laughs> like saying, like, yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah. So how, how you want to go after it? How, how will we do it? Okay, we did. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. So how are we gonna face uh oh? What is uh oh? How did we get to uh oh? What is that? What does uh oh mean? You know what I'm saying? You get what I'm saying? And they start defining what those things are. Then they start bringing out those, those, those small stories of how they got there. And, and then they end up okay. Is this still this? Is this really what you want? Hmm. Yeah, because if or you do, you want something different, or do you want something bigger, or do you want something small, or do you want to pivot? Because if you start with the with a certain map in your hands and it's not the right map, because they don't really want it, yeah, then that's not that's not going to be a, a fruitful journey, even if you help them get there. Right. There's so much humility in your approach in the strongest way, if that makes sense. Like when we, when I hear the word or the word humble can sometimes imply 
a meekness. And, and yet I'm looking at it and going, maybe humility in these types of situations is the greatest strength. It, it is. It, it's the greatest strength on earth that nobody talks about. <laughs> it's the greatest strength on earth that no one talks about because you, you, you're always open to learning. Right. I would say humility are the seeds for learning and growth. Hmm. No matter what situation you in, you know what I'm saying? No matter anger, happy, bad, you know what I'm saying? Humble yourself. You get you have seeds you gain to grow, to learn. Well, I feel like I could keep talking to you uh endlessly. I've I, this has been wonderful, but I want to be respectful of your time. And so fine, man. It's been great, man. This I've thoroughly great. enjoyed it. I've thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh there's just yeah. gems throughout this thing. Well, we need to hit another one, man. We need we need to make this part one, part two, three, four, whatever. I man, I agree with you completely. And I are you good to? I, we're breaking the fourth wall right now, but I can cut this part out. <laughs> no, 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 go no, no, You can keep it. You can keep it. Go ahead. Are you, okay. Are you cool to uh, wrap up pretty soon? Does that feel good for yeah, you? I'm fine. Yeah, I'm fine. Yeah, I'm fine. Okay. I'm fine. You want to keep going? Whatever you want to do. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, you can keep going. Well, um. What I like about what I've heard of your approach and, and just to uh, zoom back to an earlier part of our conversation, I was coached by you. So this is very uh, powerful for me to see uh, kind of like the, it's like I'm looking at the code of the matrix right now. Like I'm seeing, <laughs> I'm seeing the, you know, and I'm going, wow. Yeah. I came to you with, with this as my initial thing. You said, well, what do you, you, you said yes to what I wanted and, that alone is so powerful. Somebody enthusiastically saying, well, why not? Why not do X? You get, we did homework. We developed what are the obstacles. I came back the next week and I said, you know what? I don't think this thing is it because of these reasons that were, that were core of, of core importance to me. Right. In essence, uh, the, my, who, the woman who is now my wife, if I pursued, the path that I was advocating, which at the time was uh, looking at entering a fitness career myself, it would take me away from my best friend, my wife. It would, and which is that's one of my core things. So it's cool to me to see how you worked with me as we talk through this. It's so powerful. I don't want to skip past this thing that you don't assume you've got the answers and any lessons that they're going to receive are their own. That's what I'm hearing that they will. It's like when your mom says to you, you should not touch the stove or you should eat your broccoli or whatever it is. That's a whole nother thing than if you've touched the stove or whatever, however a negative broccoli situation would manifest and high cholesterol or whatever it might be. That is so powerful that you let people have their own lessons. That's important. You know, the good, good coaching is being more excited to find out things you don't know than solving the problem. That's good coaching. It's like you don't want to solve a problem yet. It's like, okay, we'll get to that later. I want to find out some more things I don't know. You got to be more excited about that. 
you know, good coach. And then, then what happens is once you bring that approach to the table, you're a better listener. You know, you don't rush it. You don't read it and your client doesn't feel rushed. Yeah. You know, you, you, you giving, you giving the right time, the right respect to exploration. There's such a scarcity, I think for a lot of people, for someone to truly, uh, have a relationship with them where they're only listening or not only listening, but mostly listening, uh, but I've never thought about how part of the reason why it's not just listening, it's the stance of excitement with the unknowns that I'm bringing or, or whoever you're working with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's gotta be exciting. It can't be like, Oh, okay. Let me just go ahead and just listen to them. You know, go ahead and mumble. So I can go ahead and tell them my brilliance or <laughs> go ahead and give them the answer, you know? Because people are so quick to want to display how much they know and how smart and how amazing they are, you know, when it comes mm-hmm. to coaching. How bring, I, I need to I need to convince you why you hired me. So let me show you how smart I am. Mm-hmm. And that's another one of those identity things. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Knowing who you are versus right. trying to prove who you are. Right, 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 right. Man, I um it just it strikes me how these principles of how you do your work are principles that it seems like can go back to what you were saying, that peace where life being this peaceful thing and it being this lens mm-hmm. to which you look at the world, being excited. What did you say? Excited with mistakes or excited with un, uh, obstacles? How did you phrase it? Says you need to be more excited with the unknown. With the unknown. Then you are trying to get results. How does that manifest in your life when you're not coaching? Oh man, that that's when you you really have to. You know, you hear people talk this about a lot, a lot of times, a lot of self-help healers, and they talk about being present, mm-hmm. right? And, and, and you know, and being present, listening, humbling yourself, you know, so you can have a clear and clear mind. But really, you know, being present is a, is an opportunity for me to be, respectful you know being respectful to what's going on not how i am perceiving it right so if i'm respectful for what's going on and being present and being humble to what's going on instead of trying to jump ahead to try to solve it figure it out hurry up and go to the next issue and problem you know, over speaking, you know, you, you get what I'm saying? Yes. So, 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 so I am, it takes a lot of humility to respect presence. Well, what you're saying, what it makes me think about is I have 
even the way I'm about to say this kind of speaks to what you're talking about. I have tried to meditate. I, I, uh, and, and I have, uh, tried to meditate for 20, I would say 12 years. It has been a part of my life, but I have noticed, and I've never thought of it in the way that you just made me think, but this is a key part of it. I think there's a way in which you try to meditate or be present where the driver, it seems, is to do it right. It's that, those are the words that come into mind for me. I'm going to do this thing right. And when I hear that, it's, be, it's driven from a place of, if I do it right, outcome. I get outcome. As opposed to maybe what mindfulness is really about is, is uh, you can't do it wrong. <laughs> like you, you, th- th- that is a human, uh, uh, taking a human mentality and, and superimposing it over the experience as opposed to being, being able to calmly, like, man, I, I don't even know how to say it. It's like you, you don't have a goal in, in this equation. That's it. So, so how you get to that place of presence is you have to be comfortable with receiving information that doesn't solve the problem that you can't do nothing with. Or you can't do nothing with it now. And you got to be comfortable with that. And you got to be okay with that. (laughs) You see what I'm saying? Because you're, you're trying to solve this problem. You're trying to solve this problem. You get quiet and certain thoughts, voices, whatever, um, solutions present themselves, but they're not quite it. But you're saying there's still value. There's value in those things because the deal is it's, it's, it's not it because you've already determined how to, to deal, to get the result, what the result looks like. Oh, there you go. It's taking the map away and throwing it, throwing the map in the trash can. Exactly. And that seems to be something that could float and color all of, all of life. Mm -hmm. That's why it goes back to saying you have to be excited about discovering the unknown. Unknown carries fear and fear I would imagine is often why we try to armor ourselves and build our maps and our lists. So what do we do about in your experience fear when it shows up in the body? It goes back to what I said. If you match that approach, being excited about the unknown, Mm -hmm. right? More than result. And then you add what we talked about earlier is I reach for a place of peace because I'm not concerned about the outcome. As long as I bring myself, my best self to the table, the, the unknown doesn't matter. Hmm. Yeah, because the unknown's a problem. The unknown brings me peace. It made me bringing my best self to the table brings me peace. So if I add that to being excited about the unknown, there's no fear in that. Because whatever the unknown information brings, I'm gonna bring my best self to the table with it. So what does it matter? Doesn't that make a fulfilled and more exciting life and not boring? 
Hmm. And then you couple that with being humble, then you learn it. <laughs> it's powerful. So you live in a you live in a pretty fruitful life. And then all of a sudden, then you look at the end of the day, it's like, man, those three things have given me nothing that the world says I should have or what success looks like. It's giving me brand new experiences, brand new outlooks. It's just like, it's just constantly going. I'm constantly being filled. You know what I'm saying? With something new. I'm constantly stretching myself and my abilities and what I can and can't do. So all the stuff that the world has said I should have, you know, to determine who I am, those things I add to. You ain't even thinking about them when you get them. Cause you so you so worried about the next unknown. You be like, okay, that's fine. Let's think. You know, I'm thinking about you know something else. Do you have a practice where you are uh, actively trying to hear? And when I say this, like I, I'm talking about voices. Like I'm I'm talking specifically how we all have whispers in our. You know, we all have different voices that we hear. I'm not saying that in a, in a situation for those that may have a, an issue with, with that kind of thing. But, um, do you actively create practices to be able to hear the unknown or is it more that this is just a fundamental stance in life where you take it as it comes? Like, do you set time, I guess is the way I'm asking this, where you purposely get quiet or is it more how you live everything? You know, I've been doing it so long, it's like second nature, right? Because you've done it so long, it's proven to always be right. So I don't fight it. Hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, there's a surrender quality. And I have lived long enough where I've, I've have, have experienced the good results from it. So I'm not in that testing mode if it's right or not, or should I challenge it or should I not, or, you know. (laughs) It's always yielded good results. And what I figured out too is there's no rush. It's no rush. You know, there's no rush. I get the information. Man, you know, you you know that you're on the right path. You know what I'm saying? That you got the right information. And you'd be like, man, okay, then what do you deal with? There's no rush. You 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 then you be like, how can I bring my best self to tape? And when you think about that is the the struggle that people have is this is the fight. You you get the information, the unknown information. And then you have to wrestle with who is your best self with that information. And that's when you go down the rabbit hole of trauma issues. You know, it's constant learning. It's not no smooth path, but you're constantly growing, you know? I like the word wrestling with it. Like you have to, even though you choose a way of looking at all these circumstances as coming from a place of peace. It doesn't mean it's easy. It doesn't mean for what I hear you saying to, to bring this unknown information and to ask the question, 
who is the what you said who is my best self in this equation that sounds like that could require some trial and error it could require some mistakes that's why i said it's patience in it yeah yeah it's patience in it you know it's a lot of patience in it. and and the thing is too as beautiful as 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 these tweetable quotes i just gave you might sound it's hard as heck brother <laughs> easy it ain't, it's challenging, you know, it's challenging, you know, it, but, but you, but you, you do it long enough and you finally switch like, this is where I want to be. So what do you think would happen collectively? We've been talking about how the inner individual has an effect on the whole and, and how big of an impact it can have for the kids that you helped the player whose career you you probably you know helped enable all those different things the the things you didn't do that would have caused harm to other people that you might people might have said you were justified in doing what would happen in your estimation to the to the collective if this type of comfort or willingness to embrace the unknown willingness to look at other people's maybe messy behaviors as unexpressed, unhealed trauma, what do you think would happen to the collective? And I mean the collective of United States, society at large, the entire world. If if we had more of a, of a mentality like that broadly. What would happen is people would be more comfortable and confident in hearing other people's trauma and problem solving and dealing with it. They'll be confident. They're like, okay, I don't, because we hear people's trauma as if that person is telling us that we need to go do something about it now. I didn't ask you to do that. Oh, that's I just told you to listen. You know what I'm saying? I ain't tell you to do that. I ain't tell you, you know, I ain't tell you to do anything. Right? Everybody needs their pain to not be met. Oh, because you know what you're making me think? If I can't hold your pain, it's because I'm uncomfortable. Probably, probably, I mean, maybe because I haven't held my own pain. I don't know. What do you think about that? Yeah. And, and, and like I said, go back to it. You're, you're listening with the ear that I'm demanding something from you. I asked you that. <laughs> So, so when I when I talk to people about their trauma, I always put them in a driver's seat, right? It's like I'm not listening to your trauma as if you're giving me the keys. Yeah. I'm listening to the drama as a person in the passenger seat. So, if you tell me about my trauma, the next question I'm gonna ask you is, okay, so what do you want to do about it? What do you want to do with that? What do you want to do with that trauma? So, so I'm constantly empowering you to be in front of it. So most times people hear what, what, what we put our position, self in a position in as a society, as a country, why we don't talk about it, is that we think that if I tell somebody my trauma, I'm, put, I'm giving them the keys and they better be putting some effort 
together to fix it. All right. But if you ask me, just say if you ask me, hey, hey, uh, coach, I'm going to talk to you about Bosari. How did it make you feel? It was horrible. This is my story. So what do you want to do about that? Then that puts me in the position of what should I do about it? How can I make it right? Then you go down the rabbit hole of where well, these are my solutions. Is that even possible? Because when we give people the keys to our trauma, sometimes we're asking them to do something that's impossible and unreasonable. Until we go down that path ourselves and be like, that's, that's not possible. They can't perform that. That's not even realistic. So you have to put them down a path that they feel like they're asking somebody else to do for them. And then it becomes real, like, that can't happen. Well, if it could, let's make some tweak, let's make some realistic adjustments where we're problem solving together. So after that, what do you want to do about it? And they get down that role and they be like, okay, let me know when I can help you with any of those things. And then as they going down the journey, they're looking and be like, well, I thought you could help me right here, but no, I really don't need your help. There's a lot of, Oh, I really, huh? I'm sorry. I just, there's a lot of empower, like in individual empowerment. Exactly. What were you going and, and a realistic picture, mm. you know, of ownership because you don't want to get down the table. I gave that other person the keys and they did what you asked. And because they haven't done a self journey with it themselves, they get it. I ain't what I want. That ain't what I asked for. That ain't enough. It keeps you locked out of. You hear what I'm saying? Is it sure I'm saying? It, 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 yeah, nobody comes together. They dissatisfied and you arguing big and big. Right? But but that other person is hearing, that's in a passenger seat, is listening, and they might have some good solutions. That person's like, okay, how am I bringing my best self to, to the table to these to these solutions or these concerns of this person? I'm bringing my best self. My best self doesn't have to be batting a thousand. But I'm going to give you the best that I have. And I'm going to be honest about it. Hmm. Now, I can I can put about an hour in it a day. I can't put no more in that because I got married and I got kids. I'm just telling you. Mm -hmm. Then that other person can deal with that. Mm -hmm. You see what I'm saying? I think it's hard. I, give, I, I, I can give you two days a week. I can't give you more than that. Yeah. And but, see, if you, if you, if you, but see, if you're not honest, that person expecting, I got this trauma. I done told you, you better be waking up day and night thinking about my issues and putting all your, that's not realistic. Come on. Mm -hmm. And then that first is the other person who's hearing the person say, telling them their limitations, the person in the pasture seat. That puts us like, okay, I respect that. And that's realistic. So how can I bring my best self to only two hours a week of how I receive that help, how we can be efficient on, on solving problems and solutions in those two hours, how I can limit the demands that can fit in those two hours. I won't put an agenda with 10 things we need to fulfill 
in a two hours. You, you understand? Does that make sense? Yeah. And then you start, then you start seeing progress. Life requires us to be a lot of things. I think it's a problem in any situation. Number one, to use a, a an absolute statement where this applies to every situation that in and of itself is problematic. And I hope I'm not doing that in this sentence that I'm saying right now, but life asks us to be both open to people's pain. And some people are more naturally good at opening to other people's pain, but then they've got to learn and everybody has to learn. You don't always stay open to somebody else's pain. You have your own, those, those, uh, limitations that you're describing, which are reasonable and valid and your own life and in the seeds that you need to water. And what struck me with what you're saying is we've got to learn to be both open, fluid, open to the unknown, but then there also is a structure. There also is a solidness to a, to a healthy identity of, I can only be here. I'm not trying to be a savior to you, make you think that I am always available. That's a big issue. Exactly. In and of itself. Exactly. Exactly. And that's that lack of honesty mm. and, and, and lack of security of knowing who your best self is. Right? I'm quick to tell somebody, no, I can't do that. And I, and I don't feel guilty about it. You see what I'm saying? It's like, no, it's, it's about all I can do. Because you're clear on who you are. Right? Yeah, clear on who I am. No, that's about and I'm fine with it. So you're going to have to with what I'm willing to give you. How can you bring your best self to that? And we're going to come to a solution. But if I if if I'm if I'm giving you false energy or false expectations, then I can't even live up to myself. Then that brings me a, a huge bowl of anxiety and anger and resentment. Then we got issues. How do you think somebody knows when, what does it feel like? What is, what is the experience like in, in your own experience when, when you are honoring that self, that true self or that core best self, what does that feel? How can, I guess what I'm saying is how can someone know that they they're sitting in that, that place? They, they, they feel free. They feel comfortable. They feel good about themselves. Right. They, they're not holding on any any anxiety, any fear to be able to fulfill it, any resentment. They're not even thinking about it. It's almost as if you just pass the ball off to someone else. Like, here, you take the ball now. That's a good feeling. Yeah. It's like I don't even have to think about it no more. Yeah, because we can make it complicated. We make it, yeah, we, we usually in problem solving situations like that with people, and we still taking it with us after the, after the conversation. Can't sleep, anxiety, worried about it, you know, <clears throat> anticipating the worst. Well, I I've just been blown away by these, these things. And I really like that you point out that the, the true work of doing this is the work of, of, of stepping in the arena and it's hard work. And it's not, we can, we can talk about these things, but the doing of them, the navigating of this uh, cavernous road of figuring out who you are 
carries with it a, a challenge, the challenge of a lifetime. And in a moment, I want to um, actually, how about right now, if people are listening, and as we wrap for this first episode with Bobby Jackson, probably one of many, how can people, if they want to find you, how would you recommend that they seek you out on the, the interwebs? Oh, just go to coachbobbyjackson.com. You know, it's going to lead you to my uh, fan page on uh, Facebook and we can just talk and you can find my information there and send me a message, DM me a message and, uh, or at Instagram at coachbj42. Instagram me there and, and we can talk and set up some time to talk some more. Be excited about it, man. You know, I really want to work with these, you know, young companies and, and, uh, you know, work with the dynamics of groups of leadership and just relationship building, you know, how to communicate to have real effective and strong, you know, relationships, you know, relationships that matter. You know what I'm saying? I, I, your philosophy has been spread across this entire conversation. We're not talking about techniques. We're not talking about uh, magic solutions. We're talking about a process uh, forged over a lifetime and I find your story incredibly inspiring and it makes a lot of sense how you're able to hold space to sit with people. Uh, because when I was coached by you, what I loved personally about the experience, maybe there's three things. One, the yes, having somebody just who's not your, your spouse or your like somebody who's not somebody who already you've got this built in relationship of encouragement, somebody that's out in the world who says yes and affirms a direction and says, listen, how are you going to do it? Number two, the presence. I think you can tell in this conversation the vast presence that you bring. I think a listener can tell that. And number three, the tough love, the honesty part of it, the pointing out if maybe you are, uh, if if I, as the person being coached, am, am not being consistent in my narrative on something, questioning. Those questions are so powerful because they're not telling me what I'm doing wrong. They're, they're making me think about what I'm doing. Well, I want to uh, ask you one final question today, and it's based around uh, something that you had posted on your social media, uh, and it was specifically about when you were a little boy. Uh, you, you reference what I wish I could tell this little boy. And it's a picture of you at what age would you, I mean, super baby. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I was a baby. Yeah. 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 Probably was about one and two between one and two, I think. Yeah. So what, what is a thing not to limit it, but what is something that you would want to tell that younger version of yourself from where you're sitting? Uh, That, that, again, going back to about your, your best self, uh, I, I think really being comfortable with your best self and not allowing the world around you to determine what that is and what it should be. That's what I would say. It's good wisdom. Yeah. Good wisdom if you're three months old, if you're 80 years old, if you're whatever, 34, it doesn't matter. Thank you for giving this time. Uh, I hope that folks 
consider being coached by you or just reading your material. You are a frequent uh, poster. You do share wisdom. You share uh, a lot of different wisdom in a lot of different areas. So thank you for, for this conversation. I look forward to the, the round two. All right. I can't sign. I'm so excited about it. I appreciate it, man. It's been great. All right, y'all. Whoever's listening, have a wonderful day where you are. I hope that you enjoyed that conversation. If you'd like to learn more about Bobby and are possibly interested in being coached by him, you can go to coachbobbyjackson.com. If this podcast benefited you and you would like to support it, please share it with a friend. And if you're feeling quite generous, you can go to Apple iTunes and leave a review. I'll be back in two weeks with another episode. But until then, wherever you are and whoever you're with, I hope you're doing well. And I hope that you can continue to find the epic in your own ordinary life.